Do you recall how you reacted when COVID-19 hit and you couldn't travel anymore? I certainly do. I live in Copenhagen, but my family and friends are spread out all over the world. I was used to traveling to see them. Suddenly, that wasn't possible anymore. The thought of not being able to simply jet off to another country was quite frustrating. But then I began to spend my weekends and holidays exploring rural areas and parts of Denmark that I've never visited before. And I kind of liked it. All over the world, the tendency has been more or less the same. Places located far away from urban centers suddenly saw many new visitors. And yes, when the outsiders came to visit, they often found themselves in places with a different way of life. And in some cases, a lack of infrastructure to handle all those visitors and temporary residents. But what really pulled many of us to these places were better conditions for physical and mental health and even a more sustainable lifestyle. In fact, we're now witnessing a change in public attitude towards rural areas. This is especially the case in sparsely populated places in northern and arctic regions. In this episode, we'll hear how rural communities in the Nordics as well as in Ireland and on remote Scottish islands have managed to get through the pandemic despite the difficulties. We'll hear how they've turned crisis into an opportunity and we'll look for solutions to the development of thriving rural areas in the coming decades. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. We were very, very much focused on safety, survival, keeping everybody safe, uh, making the community as safe as possible. And we're very conscious about what was happening within the community. This is Liam Glynn. He's a doctor in a tiny Irish village of 250 people. And the way his little community responded to the pandemic is typical of many rural areas. We often find that if we're going to look for a solution, we got to come up with it ourselves. And I think that philosophy over many, many generations of being uh, survivalist and being self-reliant, it really did come to the fore um, when the, the COVID-19 pandemic hit. So first of all, things happened quickly because people were used to working together um, on, 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 on any crisis that the community faced. And even a small, a small example of that is a, is a funeral. So if there's a funeral, if somebody dies within the, the locality that I live in, and I think this is true of a lot of rural areas, everybody goes to the funeral. Um, because it's a, it's a moment of crisis, if you will, for a community. And as a result of that, everybody is used to responding. So I think speed is something that we had on our side. Um, and, and then what you have is you, you generally have buy-in from all the communities. So you have a really comprehensive response where everybody is thinking about what can I do to contribute to the current situation? So whether it is, um, for example, making sure that there's a food supply for the vulnerable in the community who were cocooning, or making sure people were visited when they couldn't get out of their own homes, or, or making sure that, that people who did come into the village, um, that people knew who they were and knew what their business were. So there was all sorts of different initiatives sprung up uh, within the village um, under the banner of cooperation and community, I, I suppose, community-based response is the other element of this that I think is really strong. And suddenly everybody was putting all their brain power into the idea of how do we keep our community safe? 
because everybody's very conscious of what that word community means. So I suppose that is a short summary of my lived experience of being in a rural community during this pandemic. Liam is also a professor in general practice in the School of Medicine at Limerick University. He leads the Northern Periphery and Arctic COVID-19 Economics Impact Project, a cross-border project between nine countries in and around the Nordic region. The purpose is to examine the economic impact of COVID-19 in rural areas and to see what responses, innovations, and transformations took place as a result. What you notice very quickly, at least what I noticed, and then it becomes something that was very apparent when we shared stories across the entire northern periphery and Arctic region, was that uh, rural communities, because of their size, because of their interdependence, uh, because of their, I suppose, inbuilt uh, cooperative way of operating, that the response of these type of communities was really quite dramatic. And there was lots of really interesting examples of that happening across all the regions involved. Liam's observations are echoed by Thomas Fisher. We saw plenty of examples of what Liam has been appointing to. Thomas is a research partner on this project. He joins Liam in an online Nordic Talks event organized by the University of Limerick in Ireland, together with Noregio, a Nordic research centre for regional development and planning, as well as CODEL, a research institute that focuses on islands and rural communities in Scotland. Thomas is based on the U.S. islands in the Outer Hybrides. This remote location has become a living laboratory for data collection, just like many of the other areas featured in the research project. So in Finland, uh, where the researchers were looking at the smallest health district in East Finland, where they were very quick to adapt. And what was particularly striking is the partnership, the collaborative working between, including the private and the public sector, where they were even sharing staff, depending on what needs, uh, where the most urgent needs were in responding to COVID. So some of the private uh, private doctors moved across to the public health service in response to the pandemic. Likewise, in Iceland, where they developed the app, which took, for example, in my own country, uh, in Britain, took us weeks and weeks and sometimes months and fairly chaotic process. In Iceland, they had it up and running in a few days based on some pretty clever citizens based in Ireland who did it, I believe, on a voluntary basis. Um, And then I think about Ireland. So we've worked with the Irish islands. And when the pandemic first came in and the governments were deciding on travel restrictions and so on, it was the local ferrymen for those particular islands who took the decision with their community whether they were going to restrict travel. And they introduced those restrictions way before the government in Ireland mandated those restrictions on transport. So these are all examples of communities responding very rapidly, as Liam has said, um, but in very effective ways from public right through to the private sector. We could say exactly the same thing. Theona Morrison, Thomas's colleague, is also joining the conversation. She's the co-director of CODEL, and she also calls the U.S. islands home. Theona points out that her experience on the remote Scottish islands is very similar to Liam's experience in Ireland. The community did take responsibility for itself to uh, close itself down when there was a threat of the outbreak of COVID. Um, And as Liam has already said, 
when we spoke, he spoke earlier about even a funeral. I, I know one of the strongest, uh, when I first came to these islands 30 years ago, I remember that, that feeling that maybe you will go to a Cayley, that is a social gathering together. But the following day, if someone had been lost, say at the fishing or something, then the same whole community that had been out celebrating the night before would be out looking for someone. And that's the same community spirit that Liam has just articulated, where you've got generation upon generation of people who know each other and are there for each other. The nine countries had similar experiences over the course of the pandemic. And the conclusion of their research? It turns out that COVID-19 didn't hit as hard in rural areas throughout the wider Nordic region. But it was very striking to live it as an experience. And then when we did go to look at the evidence, when we looked at the case numbers, when we looked at the transmission rates, when we looked at the mortality, um, we were able to demonstrate very clearly that the difference, for example, in numbers per capita who died, number of cases of COVID-19, in these regions, there was at least a twofold difference between rural and the urban regions um, that, that we studied. Everyday life might be safer in rural areas, at least when it comes to COVID-19. But what about other things that are often associated with remote locations? The high unemployment rates, a slow economy, and maybe the lack of future possibilities— Will attitudes change now that many urbanites have actually taken the time to get to know these places? If you ask Anna Karlsdottir, the answer is yes. Anna is a senior research fellow at Noregio. She leads the Nordic thematic group on green inclusive rural regional development. I think for many people who were isolated during lockdowns, leisure in nature, all of a sudden meant something else. And I also think that... uh, this maybe slow life pace or slower life pace in many smaller communities meant that all of a sudden people were more attracted to that kind of uh, environment uh, than earlier. So it it bears some interesting contradiction, I think, uh, in a way uh, you realize that isolation is not the same as solitude or loneliness. There was a disconnect in a way, but then a sort of a urge to reconnect. This has been a major confidence booster for rural areas. On the ground, I, I think... This is Liam. There has been uh, some really interesting evidence around how rural communities are, are seeing and perceiving themselves differently. Uh, for, first of all, I, I think genuinely there has been a sense of... Um, of, of confidence um, in terms of the the way that communities have, have managed this this crisis. There also is increasingly evidence of a reverse, you know, probably for the first time in many, many years, but it's a reverse that actually started before COVID-19 of, of, of population coming back into these areas for lots of different reasons. Uh, I think COVID has, has accelerated that because mm-hmm. of the fact that uh, we now have a huge amount of extra flexibility in terms of work practices and where people might live and work and how they might com- combine commuting and, and working from home. So I, I think that has um, allowed and given a confidence to rural communities for the first time to, 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 to imagine a, a more positive future 
around their population, first of all. And then, of course, that then has led has had all sorts of um, economic spin-offs in terms of what it might mean for businesses within the area, what it might mean for the the traditional, I suppose, uh, economic activity we associate with rural areas. One trend that we can already see playing out is a rise in domestic tourism. Anna is originally from Iceland, and she often conducts research on tourism in her home country. What we've learned with COVID, where uh, we really had the shock of uh, almost a collapse or a really significant sudden downturn in uh, the tourism, we saw how uh, cities and especially the capital regions uh, lost most out, but with more uh, native uh, uh, tourism or, or people just uh, being on staycation or just enjoying their closer environment and communities, uh, we saw a revival for many of the rural areas. Uh, these things uh, maybe are leading the way for uh, the regenerative tourism that we hopefully are uh, experiencing now and in the near future. When comparing the research results from all nine countries participating in the study, Thomas noticed something interesting happening in Iceland. When it came to the COVID crisis and all international tourism stopped effectively overnight, um, they shifted to domestic tourism. And it was interesting to hear from our colleagues, for example, in East Iceland and North Iceland, that their tourist season wasn't too bad, even at the height of the COVID pandemic, because they got so many Icelandic visitors from Reykjavik, obviously, in particular, who are coming and discovering their own culture, their own uh, identity, and really enjoying that ability in a, a form of tourism that was far more sustainable than having thousands and thousands of people flying in every day. Let's return to the Outer Hybrides, to the small island of Grimsey. Fiona is keeping an eye on what's happening around the island, and she's noticed that there's much more talk about sustainability. The strategy in the island is about long-term, year-round sustainability, year-round um, employment, and year-round residency. And I can't stress that enough, really, because it's important to keep the lights on in a community to stem population decline. Now, if we think about Iceland, and Anna is from Iceland and Scotland, a lot of links here today between Iceland and Scotland, but we share a similar profile. The population spread in Iceland and Scotland is about 80% living in the urban administrative centre. The rest is rural or island or coastal. And yet so many people in those areas have in the urban drift of the last 50 years, you know, well, a friend of mine will say, you know, people look at brown cows and think that's where chocolate milk comes from, because we have become so far removed from where our food is produced. But, you know, change is coming. And we we saw that given what Anna's been saying, what Liam has been saying. And I think if we look at the food industry, for example, if I think about when COVID hit, we didn't know where we were going to get our food from living in fairly remote communities. If I think about one young farmer in our own area, he usually sent his lambs away in the winter for easier grazing in the spring and then um, in the winter and then bring them back in the spring. 
When COVID hit in March 2020, he quite literally was saying, how many do I bring back and how many do I sell because I might have to feed my community? So I think we've started to look locally. This is also the case for local farmers. During COVID, when, you know, food markets collapse, our fishermen's markets collapse, um, you know, 90% of their markets was in Europe and so on, but they started to sell locally. And if production and the end user are closer together from farm to fork, then we know that the health value of food is not just based on what we eat but on what it eats and how it is treated. And this provides the local and their urban guests with a more authentic and desirable offer, whilst helping underpin a local economy with year-round employment and so on, with the guest money, the tourist money, being just one component. Anna thinks that this is a general trend. Both uh, for tourism, but absolutely also in in terms of uh, sustainability of food systems, we need to look at uh, local value chains from a broader perspective as well as the global. And um, I've been involved as an activist for a number of years in the slow food movement. And uh, and I, I can see around me also that the, uh, the COVID has made... I'm seeing people have a sharper mind and perception around subsistence and the need for subsistence, but definitely also to um, want to understand the processes behind uh, food and food production and uh, have more direct uh, connections to the farmers and producers. I can tell for myself that uh, this is what I've been doing for years, but I see this as a larger and larger movement around us in the Nordic countries at least. All in all, we see a much more positive way of looking at local food and local production. This is not only positive from a climate perspective. Liam thinks that this trend can also impact human health. The longer I work in health, the more I realize that things like social context and environment are two of the strongest predictors of of health. And I would see the climate crisis as a huge threat, as, as a larger threat to health as many other threats that we already have, like smoking and obesity and um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, we, we really, and I've always um, encouraged people to think about health in a, in a very holistic way, you know, because by the time somebody sits down in front of me in the consultation room, they're normally far downstream of a journey which started much further upstream in terms of some contextual or social or environmental issue, which has then led to over a period of time, chronic stress invariably and and ill health, you know, so, so that's why going back to Anna's point about that's why we really, I, I think we, for us living and working in rural communities, we've seen the advantage in terms of, I think, overall well-being and health. And I guess we've seen it through the microcosm of COVID because we have had a very clear comparison between people like ourselves who work and live in rural environments and people who don't. And we've seen the many advantages of living in that type of a a resilient and cooperative and community-based community. I guess it's fair to say that the perception of rural areas is changing, both among the outsiders 
and the insiders. But is there more that you and I can do to help rural communities in our own countries thrive in the future? Let's hear from Thomas first. I think in the present climate, um, we need to respond radically to the climate emergency. And while we certainly don't have the answers, I think some communities in remote rural areas and island communities and indigenous communities are closer to some of the answers that we desperately need. So let's discover those by nurturing them and nurturing the communities around them so that we don't lose those potential solutions. And now Theona. I think I would just like to say two things, really. I think one thing is to encourage people to always consider how local is anything that they are using, buying, consuming, doing. I think we need to really push that when we purchase or use or do anything, that the provenance of that and the locality of it and the benefit of it, the sale or whatever, the using thereof, is as local as possible. And I think I think the world should take that on. And it shouldn't be good enough that, for example, in food packaging or anything else, is just telling you whether it's low in fat or high in sugar or whatever. It, you should also be saying this is where it's come from, as well as all the other things as well. And then the other thing I would say we need to look at and for people to learn to do is to read their own community, to imagine their own community as a kind of pie chart, if you will. And what percentage is given over to what? What is it doing? And within that, look at your demographics, look at the age profile that are moving in, the age profile that are leaving. How many holiday homes have you got or how much tourism accommodation have you got in your community? Can you fill all the jobs? Do you have all the jobs? How much of what you need, if like another COVID comes along, God forbid, that you can actually supply yourself. So I think having an understanding of your local economy, the overview is so, so important. And so many people just do not have that. So we need to do that and push for local. This is Liam. I just would say that I think we need to think about health in a really holistic way. Um, like I've said before, and we know that when we're trying to develop healthcare models for rural areas, that the, the best healthcare model is a devolved model, which involves uh, small multidisciplinary teams, which are working within communities, not because they have lots of different effects in terms of ownership, in terms of proximity, in terms of continuity, but also being an, another economic activity, which is really important to, to preserve any ec- economic activity that we have, you know. And finally, Anna. And I would want to call for action for not doing business as usual. We need to rethink a lot of uh, issues in our daily lives, uh, both tourism, but also the way we go about jobs and what we cherish in life, uh, how we connect, what disconnects us and what keeps us grounded. I, uh, I would like to be the advocate for a geography of hope. But that requires that we move from one paradigm to another. Over the course of the pandemic, I've yearned to return to my rural roots. Being cooped up in an apartment felt suffocating at times. And like many, I kept wondering if my quality of life would be better if I moved away from the city. While it's easy to romanticize remote living, the promise of health 
and more sustainable lifestyles coupled with a strong sense of community is hard to deny. And as we've heard from Anna, Thomas, Liam, and Triona, rural communities are now being viewed in a different light, a much more positive one. So whether you've had enough of city life or you're planning a staycation, I think that we can all benefit from the rural way of life. Check out NordicTalks.com to learn more about the people that you meet in each episode. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening.